For it's a pleasure again to bring God's word um, and to conclude a mini series in Psalm 91. I confess that it was never planned that it would be a three part series, but when preparing for the first one, it sort of became clear that it just had to expand a little more. And by the providence of God, there were two other services or opportunities whereby this word could be shared. So turn again with me to Psalm. 91, and our focus this afternoon will be the three verses at the end, verse 14 to verse 16. But we'll read the whole psalm together. Psalm 91. The Bible reads, and I, I quote, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. And from the deadly pestilence, he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your right side, at your right, at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will trade on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, we ask for your blessing as we turn to your word. Please bless the preaching and exposition of the scriptures to the end that your people will be blessed, edified, rebuked, encouraged, strengthened to walk in, a, in such a way that there will not be any fear, but more of dwelling close to thee, even in this difficult time. So bless us all, and may your spirit be present to aid the preaching and listening of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. By God's grace, we've come to the end of the study of this great psalm. This is a great psalm of comfort. And in this psalm, it's as if different voices are speaking. As we said earlier, it's like there are three voices in, the, in this psalm. In, in, in verse, one and, uh, verse 1 and 2, we see two voices that we hear them. One says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And then it's as if there's another voice that comes in and says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And then the other voice comes back, for he will deliver you. Verse 9 says, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who, who is my refuge. Then it continues. So it's as if there are two voices already that we've looked at. And now as we come to the end of the psalm, 
there's a third voice that comes up and that's the voice of God and so the beauty of this psalm is that God has the final word God speaks the final word after all has been said after all has been testified God now comes in and then speaks as if to play, put a stamp of approval on what has been said beforehand. So we have so far looked at the promise. And the promise is that those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And those who say to the Lord, my God, my refuge, those who say to him, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, these are the people to whom this promise is made, that they will dwell in the shelter of the Most High. They will dwell in the shadow of the Almighty, the El Shaddai. They would say to the Lord who is Jehovah, that you are my refuge and my fortress, my God, Elohim, the God who created the heavens and the earth, in whom I trust. And so that is the promise to them, that they will be under the protection of this God who is thus described in four different names. And the scripture does not word, does not waste a sentence. It does not waste a word. And it was deliberate that the psalmist put all those names of God and all those descriptions of shelter, shelter, shadow, refuge and fortress so that the people of God may have comfort in the Lord himself. The second thing we looked at this morning is the protection that God gives. And we see that this is comprehensive protection for comprehensive perils and dangers. We're told that he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the deadly pestilence, that he will cover you with his pinions, you'll be safe under his wings, and his faithfulness will be your shield and your buckler. You will stand secure, you will not be fearful as the world are fearful. When everyone else is scared and, and not sure what to do in this COVID-19 time, they are very scared for their lives and thinking, what is it that I will lose if I die? For those who are believers and dwell in the shelter of the Most High, they will be delivered from the fear of the terrors that stalk in the daytime or in the darkness or in the light. Whatever it is, they will be delivered from that. They will know a comprehensive protection from God. And we see that they will know that God is their dwelling place. And because their host is the Most High, they are secure from all sorts of dangers, whether it's spiritual or physical. And God will command his angels concerning them. So they will experience this kind of protection. And we said in verse 13 that believers are not only survivors, they're actually victors. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, for you will trade on the lion and the adder. The lion is that fearful animal and the poisonous snakes, but you will trample them underfoot in Christ Jesus because you are strong in the Lord. So we've seen the, the, the promise, the protection. And finally now, we come to verse 14 to 16 where God gives his pledge. It's as if he puts a stamp of approval on what he has said. So we see the pledge to those who take their refuge in the Lord. God speaks and has the final word as if to agree that what you have heard so far is so true. And this is the word of encouragement and exhortation that we get. Now God speaks and his voice is heard. And he says two things in these three verses. The first thing that he says is the kind of person to whom these blessings are promised. The kind of person to whom these blessings are promised or pledged to and the promises that are being pledged. And so we, we get back to verse 14 to 16. There the psalmist says, actually it's God speaking. 
because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So first of all, let's look at the person being pledged to. Who is this kind of person who God is speaking? Truly, like we said in the first uh, sermon, that this is not a psalm for everyone. And we ask the question, is the Lord near to all believers to the same degree? And the answer we said was that no, because even James 4, verse 7 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. There are those who are peculiarly and in a nice way very close to the Lord because they seek after him. And so this promise is made to the people whom God describes in verse 14 and 15. Now let's look at the character of these people. The, import, the, the interesting thing is that it seems as if God has a regard for character. And if we're believers, any traits of godliness that we have, it's not because of our own doing. It's actually the, the Lord who gives it to us. But yet it seems the Lord honors godliness and faithfulness to him. It's amazing that when you're reading Genesis and Genesis 18, when the Lord visits Abraham, there the Lord says to the angels who are with him, he says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. It's as if Abraham was so close to God that God could not even withhold certain information about what he was about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, shall I hide from Abraham? Because Abraham was a friend of God. He was so close to him. And so God says to him, I'm going to do this. And Abraham communes with God. He actually intercedes on behalf of Sodom and on, on the righteous people there. So clearly here, God is speaking to a certain kind of people whom he's pledging this um, protection to. And there are three traits that are being mentioned here in verse 14 to 15 about the kind of people. The first one we read in verse 14. He says, because he holds fast to me in love. Because he holds fast to me in love. The first trait about this person whom God pledges to is that he is devoted to the Lord. He clings and cleaves to the Lord. He holds fast to me in love. This person is one who, as if as it were in marriage, has left and has cleft. He has, he's cleaving to the Lord. This phrase, hold fast to me in love, is mostly used in scripture to speak about the love for a person to another person. For example, in Genesis 34 verse 8, when Hama was speaking to Jacob about giving his daughter Dina to his son Shechem, this phrase comes out. There in Genesis 34 verse 8, it, it reads, and I quote, But Hama spoke to them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. That's the same phrase, hold fast to me in love as it were. Again, in Deuteronomy 21 verse 11, when Moses was speaking to the children of Israel, a similar phrase comes out again. In Deuteronomy 21 verse 11, it says, And you, and you see among the captive 
a beautiful woman and you desire to take her to be your wife. Those are the words. You desire to take her to be your wife. In other words, the person who holds fast to the Lord in love is one who, like David say, my soul thirsts after you. My soul longs for you. You desire and long to be with the Lord. The other way in which this phrase is used in scripture again is seen in Deuteronomy when God is actually speaking about his people Israel. And in Deuteronomy 7 verse 7, Moses says there, he says that it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. He says that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. So this is what is being said here in verse 14. The Lord speaks of this person as one who has set his love on God, as one who has set his desire and longs for God. Like David, as a deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs after you. You hold fast to God as one who says, I will not leave you until you bless me. As one who says, Lord, where else can we go but come to you? You know that you have no other option. You hold fast to God, not out of fear that you'll be punished, no, but because you love him. And like the scriptures say, that we love him because he first loved us. So you respond in love to this God and you hold fast to him. Your life is characterized by the fact that you love God. That you hold fast to God in love. That you, even when the Lord Jesus asked the disciples, that do you, do you also want to go away? And then Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That, that's your response. Lord, to whom shall I go? Lord, where else can I be? Where else can I go? It is you who I hold fast to. It is you whom I long for and desire. And, and, and I want to be with you. And this is what the Lord says. Because he holds fast to me. He's holding to me. He's clinging on to me. This is the kind of person that I pledge this protection. It's those who have a high love for the, in, for the Lord. In other words, they're just fulfilling the first and greatest commandment. That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and all that is in you. And your very life is described by the fact that you cling to God. You walk with Him. You talk with Him. You know Him. He's your God. And you are there to, in, with Him in love because He has loved you. And all you do is respond in love to Him. Does that describe you that you hold fast to the Lord in love? But the second thing that is mentioned here is that this kind of person does not just hold fast to the Lord in love. Look at verse 14 again. It says, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. He knows my name. The, the other trait about this person whom God is speaking to is that this person knows God's name. They know the covenant name of God. The one who is devoted to God knows his name as well. To know the name of God is to have a close relationship with him. It is to know the name as his whole being, as he has revealed himself, his whole attribute, because his name speaks of the totality of who he is. I was giving an example some time back that there's a man who they've called his name as Boza Banda. His name is Boza Banda, and Boza in English is lies. So because the man is always a liar, when, you t when he tells you I'm coming tomorrow, he never shows up. 
And so because the community have seen him to be that, they've called his name Boza. You're a liar. So, but when we say the name of God, it actually comes with the totality of something like that. The, the characteristics of God come into being. That when you know the name of God, you know his attributes, his character, his being, the one who he is. And the name of God, as he has revealed himself to Moses in Exodus, is such that he says to himself when he proclaimed his name in Exodus 34 verse 5 to 7. The Lord there, when he proclaimed his name, he said, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So he who knows God's name knows that he is a God who is merciful and gracious. That you have experienced this mercy by yourself. You have known God who has forgiven your sins and does not treat you as your sins deserve. You've experienced his mercy. When you know God's name is that you've experienced his grace. That from his fullness, from the fullness of Jesus Christ, you have received grace upon grace. The grace that has helped you from day to day. The grace that has helped you to be a good wife. The grace that has helped you to be a good husband. The grace that has helped you to be a good child. The grace that has helped you to be a good employee. Or whatever it is that you do. Because you know the name of God. You have known the fact that he's a patient God. He's slow to anger. And how many of us can testify that truly God has been patient with us? It's because you know his name. Yes, you sin every day. But again, as we're told, that even if we sin, we come to him because we have a refuge in Christ. We have an appropriation for our sins in Jesus Christ. So we confess our sins and he forgives us because he's a patient God. He's a gracious God. He's a merciful God. And you've known his abounding steadfast love and faithfulness which he displayed in Jesus Christ when he died for our sins. That even though we were sinners and not deserving, God displayed his love for us that Christ Jesus died on our behalf. And we've seen his steadfast love and faithfulness every day of our lives. Even when we are unfaithful, when we are going outside of the path, God calls us back and brings us because we know his name. And so, such a person, we're told, that because he knows my name, I will protect him. Because he knows my name. You know God. You have a close relationship with God. You walk with him. You talk with him. You, you, when you call him Father, you call him by his name. When you pray to him, our Father, for you it's not an outside reality. It's not something that you've just read in the scriptures. No, but for you that's the truth of the matter. That when you speak to him as Father, you call him by his name. And there's no false religion here. You are not like those whom the Lord Jesus says in Mark 7 verse 6. That these people honors me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. No, your testimony is that you know God. And your heart is not far from him, but it's close to him. You can call him by his name. Like a child who when he's falling calls daddy and the father runs. So it is with those who know God by his name. Because he knows my name. It's not a question of religion. It's a question of a relationship with God. Do you know him and does he know you by your name? 
But thirdly, we are told again in verse 15 of this kind of person whom the Lord pledges this to. In verse 15, we say, he says, when he calls to me, I will answer him. So this person is one who communes with God. He's one who calls on God. He's one who prays to God. A believer is one person who calls upon God. God has called him. And because God has called him, he now calls upon him. He's such a person who is known to be a person of prayer, who keeps up constant communion with God in prayer. And every difficult case, he refers to the Lord. Any slight symptom of COVID-19 on your knees, Father, help me. Any slight danger that you're facing, Father, help me. Any slight thing that we find which is difficult for us, we call upon him. He, when he calls upon me. Again, in the Old Testament, religion was such that men called upon the name of God. When Abraham went to a place, he would erect a tent or an altar there and called upon the name of God. He communed with God. He knew God and he was one who prayed to him. And a mark of a true believer is that a believer prays. In Acts in chapter 9 and 10, when Saul of Tarsus became a Christian, and then the Lord spoke to Ananias, said, go to Saul and open his eyes because he is blind. Ananias was saying, but Lord, wait, wait a minute. This is the man who is persecuting the church. He's killing us. How will I know that he's a believer? And the Lord says, because he is praying. The truth that you're a believer is seen in the fact that you pray to God. That you call upon him and you commune with him. You call upon him. That is the, 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 the true feature of your life. That every day of your life, you have set times for prayer with him. And I hope you're not one of those who say, no, I pray as I'm walking or driving. But you really have set times for communion with God. As anyone who wants to develop a good relationship must set apart some time to spend with a person. So it is with those who hold fast to the Lord in love, who know his name, who call upon him. They set aside seasons of prayer, times of prayer every day when they kneel and call upon the Lord and commune with him. You say you're too busy. But we're told about Suzanne Wesley who had about 13 children. And in the midst of all those children, she still found time to commune with her God. So there's no one who has an excuse. It's those who call upon him whom the Lord says this to. These people have a posture of prayer. And because they have this posture of prayer, they receive grace from God. They are described in Ephesians 8, sorry, Ephesians 6 verse 18. That they pray at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. They keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints as they call upon God. Meaning that, you see, their praying is at all times, and it's in the spirit. And they pray all prayers and supplications. Sometimes it's a prayer of thanksgiving. Sometimes it's a prayer of confession. Sometimes it's a prayer of supplication. And they keep alert with all perseverance because prayer is a hard discipline. So they persevere at it. Not today they feel like it, they pray. Tomorrow they don't feel like it, they don't pray. No, they keep at it with perseverance. They have set time and they will be there with all discipline coming before the Lord and praying. Are you this kind of person described? Do you hold fast 
to the Lord? Do you hold fast to the Lord in love? Do you know his name? Do you have a close walk and relationship with him? Do you call upon him? Are you one of those who's characterized as a person who prays? Because you know his name, you call upon him. This is the person who's addressed here. And the Lord is particularly raising these promises to this person that because he is such a person, I will do this for him. So it's true that when we draw near to God, he does draw near to us. That when we hold fast to the Lord in love, he holds fast to us as well. He cleaves to us. That when we know him by his name, the Lord, the faithful God, the covenant-keeping God, he knows us also by name. He calls us by name, a particular personal name. The God knows you personally and calls you to himself. And he delights in the fact that we call upon him. And when we call upon him, he says, I will answer. Because this is the unique privilege of believers as children of God. And those who are parents know that you delight to give the requests of your children. Unless you know that it's going to be harmful. But when they ask and they ask nicely and politely, you are very delighted to say, here you go, have it. Because you call upon them. And likewise, these are the people who call upon him. And the Lord is delighted with them. They are prayerful people who pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. They keep alert with all perseverance. And they make supplication for all the other children of God, all the other saints. So that's the person being pledged to. Let's quickly go to the last point, the promises being pledged. So we've looked at the person whom the Lord is addressing here. Now, what are these promises that he's pledging or assuring or confirming that have been said in the earlier part of the psalm? There are actually eight of them in these three verses. We are told in verse 14, it says, Because he holds fast to me, number one, I will deliver him. Number two, I will protect him because he knows my name. Number three, when he calls on me, I will answer him. Number four, I will be with him in trouble. Number five, I will rescue him. Number six, I will honor him with long life. Number seven, I will satisfy him. And number eight, I will show him my salvation. Look at how packed and loaded the promises are. I will deliver him. I will protect him. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him. I will honor him. I will satisfy him with long life. I will show him my salvation. And when we think about deliverance, we think about verse 3 again. When God says, I will deliver him. We saw in verse 3 that the Lord says, I will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. God has promised deliverance to those who hold fast to him because he holds fast to me in love i will also hold fast to him and i will deliver him i'll not leave him to the dangers that fly by day or night no i will deliver him he is in my custody and i i look at the eye that god says i will do it and what a blessing to know that the most high the almighty the lord god himself says i will do it I will deliver him. But he also says, I will protect him. And when we think about protection here, we think about coming under his wings. For we are told in verse 4, he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wing you will find refuge. 
I will protect him. In verse 9 and 10, we're told that because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to be before you. No plague come near your tent. Why? Because God says, I will protect him. You come under the host. You're in the wings of this God. You're under the shadow, abiding in his protection. And no one, no one can get to you except they get to you through God. So you are under the very protection of God. This protection is such that his faithfulness will be your shield and your buckler. His faithfulness will shield you from the arrows that will fly to you, the dangers that you will face, the temptation and trials that will come to you that seeks to destroy you. Because God has said, I will protect you. I will protect you. In the Pilgrim's Progress, part two, where John Bunyan writes about, writes about Christiana, who was the wife of Christian. We're told that when Christiana was about to go on this pilgrimage with her children, there was a man called Great Heart who came alongside them. And the Lord, the, the Lord of the place had given this Great Heart to protect them. And as they were walking the pilgrimage way, they sometimes met dangers and troubles and thieves. And this great heart had a great sword and he would protect these women and children. For there was Christiana and Mercy and four of her children. And they would be safe. And no matter how much danger would come, a lion came and great heart protected them. In like manner, the Lord says, whatever you face, my faithfulness will be your shield. My faithfulness will be your buckler. You will find protection under my dwelling because you hold fast to me in love. Because you know my name, I will protect you. But we're also told in verse 15 there that when he calls to me, I will answer him. When you call upon him, the Lord has promised that he will answer you. In Psalm 50 and verse 15, Psalm 50 verse 15, the Lord says there, says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Say, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. So calling upon God in any circumstance speaks of our trust in him. And when we call upon him, the Lord says, I will answer. I will answer. Let's not take the scriptures lightly. When the Lord Jesus says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For he who asks is given. He who seeks finds. He who knocks, the door is open to him. And, and that's the promise. And he says, go to your heavenly father and call upon him because he has said, I will answer you. Sometimes we don't get exactly the answers that we are looking for. Sometimes we pray for deliverance, but it does not come. But it's because whichever way, the Lord has our good at heart. Like we said about James and Peter earlier on in the morning. Perhaps James prayed for deliverance, but the Lord Jesus said, Come friend, let's, let's commune together. We enjoyed fellowship on earth. Come now, be with me. And Peter is prayed for for deliverance, and the saints answer and an angel is sent. Whichever way, the Lord says, I will answer. And ours is to pray, to put our faith in him by calling upon him. He has promised that he will answer. But also we go on in verse 15. He says, I will be with him in trouble. I will be with him in trouble. And that's the fourth promise that is being made here. 
Meaning that the Lord's people are not exempt from trouble. The Lord's people are not exempt from trouble. No. And here the protection is not so much from trouble. But he says, I will be with him in trouble. I will be with him in trouble. In Isaiah 43, the passage read earlier on, the Lord says there, it says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. I was happy to read a post of Mr. Makupi on Facebook when he says that he, he felt sort of the sting of death, but the Lord was with him in those moments when he was laid low. It does not mean that believers will be exempt from troubles, no. But they will know the truth that God is our Emmanuel, God with us. That he will be with us in trouble to comfort and to help us to endure the pressures that we face. And most believers are conscious of special divine presence in times of trouble. God will surely show his sympathy and power with you as you suffer. He says, I'll be with you in trouble. The fire will not hurt you. Even if you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. Because God gives grace to endure. Like the apostle Paul, who prayed that God should take away the thorn in his flesh. But God said, no, 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 no. My grace is sufficient. And I'll help you to endure the thorn that you're facing. Because I will be with you in trouble. And the Lord Jesus comes as Emmanuel, God with us. Him who has walked our path and suffered what we have suffered, was tempted in every way yet without sin, so that he is a faithful high priest able to help those who are suffering. And so God promises that for one who holds fast to him in love, one who knows his name, one who calls upon him, he will be with him in trouble. He may not take you from the trouble or deliver you from the trouble, but one thing you'll be assured, that he will walk with you. For all of us one day must walk through the river. All of us one day must get sick perhaps or die. And that's a dreadful moment. But even in that time, the Lord will be with us as he ushers us to the other side of eternity to be with him. So we have this comfort that God will be with us in times of need. We shall know his grace and mercy that helps us. But then we move on to verse 14, 15 again. Verse 15c says, I will rescue him. And I will honor him. And rescue here reminds us of the deliverance that is said there. Except that it's a bit more intense. It's sort of an intensified word. That he will rescue you. Whether you are caught within the thicket or caught by a lion, the Lord is able to rescue you like David rescued his sheep from the mouth of lions. The Lord is able to do that. He says, I will rescue him. But more than that, I will honor him. And to honor here is the same way to glorify. It means that God will bring you dignity and success. You will achieve everything that you intend to achieve as one blessed of God. The man who honors God in all their lives endeavors, in your day-to-day -day life, if you honor God, God will honor you as well. Like the Lord Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 32, he says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever despises me or denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. 
So if you honor God in your day-to-day life, in your business, in your activities that you do, you do it to the honor and glory of God, God will honor you as well. Those who honor him, he honors. He's no data of man. And he'll honor you more than you have actually honored him yourself. And then we look at verse 16. It says, With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. With long life I will satisfy him. With length of days. The Lord promises length of days. Long life to those who put their trust in him. Although we can say that this is a typical Old Testament blessing where long life was seen as a favor of God. Because when you read Genesis and Exodus and the Old Testament, even David, you find that God promises that they will go to their grave in, at a good age, at a good long age, 120 years, 115 years, after leaving and seeing grandchildren after grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Because long life, length of days, was one of the blessings of the Old Testament. And even children are told to obey their parents. For this is right. And this is the first promise. This, this is the first commandment with the promise that your days may be long on earth. So obedience to God was rewarded by a long and good life on earth. In the New Testament, we may not say that that is the case. For some have died young. Because if that's the case, then Jesus who died at 30 or 33 may not have actually lived this long life to have seen it. Or some of the believers like Stephen who was martyred when still young. So in the New Testament, whether long or short, it's the quality of the life. The Lord Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And God says, I will satisfy him with long life. I will satisfy him with long life. You will know my salvation. In Deuteronomy 30 verse 20, Moses there says, Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days. So your life is bound up in the Lord. And he says that you may dwell long in the land that he sowed to your fathers. So because you know his name, because you hold fast to him, because you call upon him, he says, I will satisfy you with long life. But lastly he says, and I will show him my salvation the Lord promises salvation here and truly when we think about salvation we think about when it's fully realized in Jesus Christ when it's fully realized in Jesus Christ one such person where this was true was a man called Simeon in Luke chapter 2 Simeon was a man who was called to be a devout man a righteous man who was ever in the temple waiting for the salvation of God And as it were providentially, Mary and Joseph come into the temple bringing the baby Jesus and they somehow meet uh, Simeon. And Simeon takes Jesus in his hand and says, Now Lord, your servant can depart in peace for I have seen your salvation. And the salvation that he saw was in Jesus Christ that he has come to bring salvation to his people, to die for them and bring redemption And this salvation, we eventually know its full benefit and fruit in heaven. When people will there be with the Lord. They will be with the Lord and dwell with him in all righteousness. And God says, because you're such a person who was first to me in love. Because you call upon me and you know my name. 
I will satisfy you with long life and I will show you my salvation which is in Jesus Christ. And so God makes a sort of a comprehensive promise based on what has gone before. He says, I will deliver you. I will protect you. I will answer you when you call. I will be with you in trouble. I will rescue you and honor you. With long life I will satisfy you and show you my salvation. If you are such a one that holds fast to me in love, if you are such a one that knows my name, if you are such a one who calls upon me, and this is the pledge that I make to you, because you dwell in my shelter, because you abide in the shadow of the Almighty, because you abide in my shadow, because you have said to me that you are my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, I pledge to do these things for you. So in conclusion, let me say that these promises are fully realized in Jesus Christ. I mean, when you read these verses, doesn't just the, the picture and life of Christ come before you? Who is it that held fast to God in love? Who is it that knew God's name? And when he prayed, he actually said, I'm actually praying for your sake so that you know that whenever I call on my father, he hears me. And then he calls Lazarus, come forth, and God hears him. And Lazarus is awakened. This passage is fully true of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the one who was in trouble, but God was with him in his trouble. And the greatest trouble that the Lord was in was in his suffering and in his death on the cross. Even if he prayed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But we know that God was with him in trouble. And when he was buried in the grave, he was not forsaken. Because again, the truth of the words, I will rescue him and honor him, are true of the Lord. That he was rescued from the grave and he was honored and glorified in his resurrection and in his ascension. And there he sat on the right hand of God in majesty. And with long life, God satisfied him. And he saw the salvation of his God. So this really speaks of Christ Jesus, but it also speaks of those who are in Christ, who look to him, who walk in his ways. The Apostle Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Jesus Christ. So therefore our call as disciples of Christ is to follow him. He says, come, deny yourself and follow me. Following me that you're walking behind Christ. Was Christ devoted to God, holding fast to him in love? Then you, if you are his disciple, you must as well be doing likewise. If Christ was such a one that knew God's name and knew him by name and had this very close and intimate relationship with his father, if you are his disciple, you too must know him. Because repeatedly the Lord Jesus keeps saying, pray to your father. He, he sort of brings God very close in an intimate way and says to us as our elder brother, pray to your father. Just ask your father. Ask him because I know him and he knows you. I have loved you. You have loved me. Therefore, he loves you. If you are such as his disciple, you will follow him in knowing the name of his father. But if you are such as he was who called upon God and had special times of prayer in, in the desert, he was there 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness praying and fasting because he called upon him and God answered him. If you are such as 
who is in Christ and a disciple of him, you will likewise be a man or woman of prayer who calls upon God, whatever your circumstance, whether it's a turbulent time like now in COVID-19, praying for protection and preservation, or whatever time it is that you are in, you will call upon him and God will hear you. So, those who are in Christ will know the blessings that God has said here. That God will be with you. He will deliver you. He will protect you because you call upon him. He'll be with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. So don't leave as the world does. And if I may bring this to a close by saying that, we began by saying that we are living in a turbulent time. It's a perilous, uh, a perilous time. It's a time when everyone else is fearful. But should believers be fearful as the world are? Should we be anxious as the world? No. Because God has promised that he will be with us. But this promise is made by particularly to those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High, to those who enjoy sweet communion and fellowship with God, those who know him by name and go to God, those who are at home with God, those who know him in prayer, those who hold fast to him like Jacob, I will not leave you until you bless me. Those who say to the Lord Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. These promises are made to those and those who know God like this will truly be strong and protected and preserved even in difficult times. They will trust God even in difficult times. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask for your blessing upon your word. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that we may be those who hold fast to you in love who know your name, who know you by your name, those who call you Father because we know you in Jesus Christ, those who call upon you. Whatever our situations and our circumstances, whether we're in trouble or not, we still call upon you. And we thank you for the pledge and promises you make here, that you will deliver us, that you will protect us, that you will answer us when we call, that you will be with us in trouble, that you will rescue us and honor us that you will satisfy us with long life and show us your salvation. Lord, we thank you that in Jesus Christ these things are true. And those of us who are in Christ Jesus, may we live out the truth of this. Thank you again and bless your name for your word and preserve and protect your people, O God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.